How's everybody tonight? I uh, was watching TV when the pastor called and uh, asked me if I'd help him, and I said I would. And uh, I would have no matter what, but I decided that the uh, best thing for me to do was to come up here today where it's quiet and study for a while, and I did. And the more I studied, the more I thought about it. I decided just to read it because there's so much if I take it out, it, it just don't make sense to me anyway. And since I love him as much as I do, I'm hoping that I can get you guys on the bandwagon. So I'm going to start by reading introduction to the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. It's not too long, but uh, <clears throat> there probably is more content in the first chapter of Mark than any other chapter in the Bible with the exception of Genesis chapter 1. It covers the ministry of John the Baptist after going back to the prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi. It takes in the first year's ministry of Jesus and follows him through a busy Sabbath day. It, <clears throat> excuse me, it concludes with the mighty work of cleansing the leper. And then in spite of the pressure of a busy life, Jesus took time to pray. Uh, this chapter of crowded content is made striking by the absence of genealogies, which is so prominent in Matthew. We have already stated why a king must have a genealogy. A servant needs references, not a birth certificate. It's not a question as to his ancestors, rather as to his actions. Can he do the job? Jehovah's <coughs> servant is marked out here by his accomplishments. Besides this, the Romans or other outsiders would not be concerned with the genealogy of Jesus, which is traced back to Abraham. As we begin the text of this gospel, let us ask God to bring us into vital relationship with Jesus. We're going to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. A.J. Gordon wrote, The look saves, but the gaze sanctifies. Let me pray. Grace, Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight in Jesus' name. And Father, if there's ever a time that I needed help as when I'm looking at the Lord Jesus. I pray you'd be with me. Help me to pass on what you have here in for the people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read the first three verses together. <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read his comments on those verses. This is not the beginning of either John or Jesus. It's the beginning of the gospel. When the Lord Jesus came to the earth, and died upon the cross and rose again. That, my friend, is the gospel. There are three beginnings recorded in Scripture. Let us put them down in chronological order. 
In the beginning was the word, John 1.1, comment. This goes back to a dateless beginning, a beginning before all time. Here the human mind can only grope. It is illogical rather than chronological because in my thinking, I must put my peg somewhere in the past in order to take off. If I see an airplane in there, I assume there's an airport somewhere. I may not know where it is, but I know the plane took off from some place. So when I look around at the universe, I know that it took off from somewhere, and that somewhere there is a God, but I don't know anything about the beginning. God comes out of eternity to meet us. I just have to put <clears throat> the peg at the point where he does meet us, back as far as I can think, and realize he was there before that. <clears throat> and then we go to uh, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Now, this is where we move out of eternity into time. However, although many people have been attempting to date this universe, no man so far knows Man's guesses have ranged from 6,000 to 3 billions of years. We know so little, but when we come to his presence and begin to know, even as we are known, then we'll realize how we saw through a glass darkly. I'm sure we'll <clears throat> marvel at our uh, stupidity and our ignorance. Our God is a great God. He has plenty of time. Anybody got any comments or anything? Want to ask questions? Want to help me out anyway? <laughs> Mark chapter 1, and I'm using Dr. McGee's material. And uh, I don't know if you heard or not, but there was a death in Pastor's family, so he... Okay. <clears throat> and then the third one, and it says, The beginning of the gospel, verse 1 is the same as that which was from the beginning, 1 John 1, 1. This is dated, it goes back to Jesus Christ at the precise moment he took upon himself human flesh. Jesus Christ is the gospel. Then Mark, who has very few quotations from the Old Testament, quotes two prophecies. The Romans knew very little about prophecy. He does this to show them that the one whom he is talking about doesn't need a genealogy, but he does need references. So Mark shows that his reference go back to Isaiah and to Malachi. Both John and Mark declare that the coming of John the Baptist fulfilled the prophecies of the one who would be the forerunner of Christ. Now, excuse me, Mark 4, uh, excuse me, 1, Chapter 1, verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And he goes on to say, I want to change the wording so that we can get the meaning of this verse. John preached repentance and baptized unto remission for sins, not for remission of sins. The Greek uh, preposition is used with remission 
as translated unto or into. His mercy was preparatory. It was preparing them for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. Jesus Christ is the one who remits sins. <clears throat> now, verse 5 and 6. And they went out unto him all in the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with a camel's hair and with a girdle of his skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. Anybody questions or any comments? <clears throat> okay, now I'm going to read what he said about John. John the Baptist was remarkable not only in his message, but remarkable in his dress and in his diet. This, was, this man was one who had been set aside for his ministry. He was of the order of the priest, a Levite, and was expected to minister in the temple in Jerusalem. But God had called him as a prophet, and he is out in the wilderness preaching, and the people come out to hear him. Today we like to put a church in a location where people live or where they can congregate and come together. We feel that the church should be accessible. John didn't work on that theory at all. He was way out yonder in the wilderness, and the multitudes went out to him. <clears throat> verse 7, and preached. And then it says, verse 7, And John preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, latches of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. <clears throat> the comment is, this reveals something of how remarkable this man really was. He stirred the multitudes. He was a strange and a strong man, but he, but his was a solo voice. Notice the humility. John the Baptist was a humble man. And <clears throat> then... Uh, Verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. This is the great distinction between John and Jesus. The real baptism is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Ritual baptism is by water. Water baptism is very important today because it is a testimony in the Gospel of Matthew we learned that the reason the Lord Jesus was baptized was actually to identify himself uh, with mankind. <clears throat> now I'm reading verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. <clears throat> and he says, notice Mark's headline. Jesus came. What a thrill. Jesus is coming again someday. That's another wonderful headline. But here, the Lord Jesus came from the obscurity of 30 years of quiet training in little Nazareth. And now, <clears throat> he comes now and identifies himself with the human family. 
in his baptizing, baptism, you remember that Jesus had said to John, Suffer it to be so, Matthew 3.15, because John didn't think he should baptize Jesus. Notice also that his name Jesus is used here. Jesus came. We will find that it is his common name that is used in the gospel. The name Jesus is used more frequently in Mark than any other name. And then he goes on with verse 10 and 11. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now I know I can get some help here on this. What 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 did I just read? What does that describe? Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. That's right. And <clears throat> he says, uh, <clears throat> here we see the Trinity brought together in a very definite way. We see the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the Spirit of God who descends like a dove upon him, the Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And the voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, is that of the Father, the first person of the Godhead. So the Trinity is brought to our attention, and this, by the way, is heaven's seal upon the person and dedication of Jesus. You will notice that things are happening very fast here. He is the servant. John the Baptist is the one who introduces him. And then God the Father identifies him and puts his seal upon him. Next, the temptation. Well, <clears throat> I can't pronounce that word. I-N-I-T-T-A. Let me spell it again. I-N-I-T-I-A. A-T-E. Initiate him. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> uh, the temptation initiates the servant. Now, I'm reading uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 12. And immediately the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Driveth is a word of fierceness and seriousness. The Spirit of God moved him right out into the wilderness. That he might be tempted. Now, this is something that is very important for us to see. We come again to that question, can he do the job? Other men had failed. They couldn't stand up under temptation. Adam failed. Noah got through the flood, and then he miserably fell on his face. We saw that Abraham failed, Moses failed. He led the children out of Egypt, but he wasn't permitted to enter the promised land. And poor David failed. So we see that the temptations, uh, there's that word again, how you pronounce it? Initiates uh, him into his work. Now, verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted to Satan. And was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. 
Now, a comment. We do not have the detail given here that we find in Matthew and in Luke. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. He was tempted during the whole 40 days. And some people seem to have the impression that he fasted 40 days and then Satan tempted him. My friend, he was being tempted all the time. Some people have the idea that he was there tempted of Satan, that the wild beast more or less contributed to temptation. Mark is saying here that he was with the wild beast and the angels, and they both ministered to him. The beasts are a part of creation, but under the dominion of man. That's the reason God created these creatures. Remember in Genesis, we learned that everything was a preparation to make home for man. As far as we know, this earth is the only place in which there is mankind and which there's had is mankind and which is habitable for that's not right either, but for man. Here the beasts which were below the man, Christ Jesus, ministered to him, and the angels above him ministered to him. That is what uh, Mark is trying to say here. Now, comment, question. Okay. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I'm going to read verse 14 and 15. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. After the temptations, we find Jesus beginning his ministry. Notice again Mark's flaming headline, Jesus came. After John the Baptist was in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. He began his ministry, now preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, the kingdom is not any better manuscripts, and I personally think it should be preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The gospel of God is that kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew, it was the kingdom of heaven. Is there a distinction between the two? Yes, there is, and there is also an overlapping. The kingdom of heaven is God's rule over the earth. The kingdom of God includes the entire universe, even beyond the bounds of the earth, so the kingdom of heaven is in the kingdom of God. Matthew is appealing to, <coughs> excuse me, is applying God's rules specifically to the earth. Mark is reaching out and including the wider area because the kingdom of God includes the entire universe with all of its creatures. As far as the earth is concerned, to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand would be synonymous. But the kingdom of God would include regions beyond the earth, while the kingdom of heaven means the reign of the heavens over the earth. <clears throat> Repent ye and believe the gospel. 
The message of Jesus is the same as the message John the Baptist in Matthew's gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 2, and 4, 17. I believe that, on, <coughs> that in our day, the message really turned around. That is, we put faith before repentance. When you turn to Jesus Christ in faith, you are actually turning to him from something. And that turning from something is repentance. If there is not that turning from something, then apparently there was not a real turning to Christ. It is true that if there is a real turn to Christ, there will be a manifestation of a change in the life showing that the believer is turning from something. So there is no contradictions at all. The important thing is for the people to believe in the gospel. We are seeing fast action here, but remember the gospel is written for the Romans who were men of action. They were men of power who ruled the world. Matthew is directed to the religious man. Mark was written in the, to the strong man. Luke is addressed to the thinking man. The gospel of John is directed to the wretched man, the man who needs salvation. Then... <clears throat> The verses I'm going to read, I guess, cover verse 16 through 20. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Then there, <coughs> excuse me, there were three separate and distinct calls made to the apostles. In John 1, 35, through 51, we are told that when Jesus went up to Jerusalem, he met these men and gave them a general call, informal and casual. They wanted to know where he, he lived because John the Baptist had marked him out and some of John's disciples followed him. But they didn't stay with him. He didn't ask them at this time. They went back to their fishing in Galilee. Number two, now we find here in Mark that at the beginning of his ministry, he walks along the sea and finds the disciples fishing, and he calls them to discipleship. They are to be fishers of men. However, we find in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, that again they went back to their fishing. The final call was a call to apostleship. It is recorded in Mark chapter 3, Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 6, they had gone back to fishing, and Simon Peter said unto him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. What he's really saying is, Why don't you go and get somebody else to let me alone, because I have failed you so I'm a sinful man. But the Lord didn't give him up. Thank God for that. So the Lord uh, came to them the third time and appointed them, Apostleship. 
Come on, somebody help me out here. Talk questions. That's what he said. But he's flesh and blood human just like you and I, so he could have made a mistake. But he says there's three calls, and that's why I mentioned each one of the, the scriptures where he uh, mentioned it. But I, I would say yes, that there was three. But then I've been wrong once. Okay, verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. You will remember that when the religious leaders would question him about what he did on the Sabbath day, he would make it very clear. My father worketh here too, and I work, John five seventeen. We're going to see that he didn't work an eight-hour day. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121.4. This Sabbath day starts out early in the morning when he entered into the synagogue and taught. This synagogue is in Capernaum, was not a center of vital religion in that day. It seems that he left Nazareth because his own people would not receive him, and he went to, down to Capernaum which he made his headquarters all during his earthly ministry. And they, verse 22, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. <clears throat> uh, his comment, it says, Here we see the effect of the... All right, Professor, back there. P-O-T-E-N-C, what, potency? Does that sound right? Uh, of truth and the manner of this man, the criticism against the church today and against the ministry is that we do not speak with authority. The reason the ministry does not speak with authority is that we have lost our faith. When I say we, I do not mean I have lost my faith. I mean that as a class, the minister today does not attempt to preach and teach the Word of God. There's a departure from the truth and tremendous bifurcations between the pulpit and the Word of God. The synagogue offered nothing vital in that day, and as a result, when our Lord spoke, they were astonished at His doctrine. Verse 23 and 24. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. The first miracle in the Gospel of Mark is in the spiritual realm. Only God is in control in the spiritual realm. He is in control of the demons. There is a great deal of historical evidence that demonism was rampant in the entire Roman Empire. The only way demonism can be met is by the Lord Jesus because he and he alone is able to move in this realm. 
That is the reason Mark gives this as the first miracle. He brings the miracle first because of Jesus has power in the realm, in this realm. There are are two things that are implied. First, he has power in the realm. Second, only God could do such a thing. This was part of his credentials, you see. He had authority. He had power. He taught as one who had authority, and now he demonstrates that he has the power. If you are aware of what is taking place in our contemporary culture today, you recognize that Satan worship Satan worship has become very prominent. There are things happening today in the realm of the occult that can only be explained only on the basis that it is satanic, and that is supernatural. You cannot explain reasonably why young people today will leave home where they are loved, join a vagrant band, and then go out and murder. That seems unbelievable. That's satanic, friend. And we're going to see actual demon possession if this continues. Christian friend, there's only one way to deal with this, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can control the demons. That is the first miracle that is given to us in Mark. Uh, Now, verse 25 through 27. Uh, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this that, what is this, what new doctrine is this? For with authority (coughs) commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Notice, friends, he is demonstrating his power and his authority and his teaching and in his miracles, and they cannot understand it. He has authority which cannot, which they cannot comprehend. And verse 28, And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region about Galilee. Comment. Mark takes us on the next incident, which evidently took place the same day, but sometime in the afternoon. Uh, one, chapter 1, 29 through 31. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and now they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. She's not called a mother-in-law. She's called Simon's wife's mother. He says, my own mother-in-law used to call this to my attention. She thought this was a nice way of saying it, and I'm sure it is. So here was another miracle which he performed that same day 
Then we follow him out into the evening. Verse 32, And that evening when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with demons. Now, <clears throat> comment. I'm sure you'd recognize that devils in the King James Version should be translated demons. There is only one devil who is Satan, but there are many demons as we shall see. And all the silly was gathered together at the door, and when he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases and cast out many uh, many uh, demons and suffered not the devil's demons to speak because they knew him. <coughs> Excuse me. Now Mark is doing precisely the same thing that Matthew did. He calls our attention to the fact that he tells us only very few incidents of Jesus' healing. He literally healed hundreds and hundreds of people, but only a few isolated incidents are recorded for us. It is interesting to note that the demon world recognized him. They knew and believed who he was, and yet they are not saved, of course. We've gone through a busy day with him, and you would think that after such an exhausting Sabbath day, he would sleep late the next morning. But we read, then in verse 35, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and parted to a solitary place there and prayed. I know a lot of preachers uh, take Monday off after a busy Sunday. I don't blame them for that. I formerly did it myself, but I haven't done it for quite a few years now. No, we see Jesus riding up early to go to a solitary place to pray. What a lesson this is for us. Uh, friends, that's 25 minutes to 8, and I don't think I can read two more verses. And as sleepy as you look, I don't think you want me to read two more verses. So... Let's all agree to disagree and stop here. And then uh, whoever is supposed to take prayer requests can, and we'll do it again another day. Great button. Maybe I didn't even have it on. <laughs>